0: Welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Engel.
1: And I am Crystal Beth, and today we are discussing Minute 78, which begins with Ripley saying operations and ends with the ominous wind of LV-426 humming against the colonial structure.
0: And Crystal Beth is back again today. I assume you brought uh, John Robert with you. He goes where
2: I go. I, I don't know anyone else. (laughs) I am uncomfortable anywhere else that Crystal is not. I have taken his
1: self-will and what is it that makes you want to do your own stuff?
0: Free will. Free will. i have
1: taken his free will. It's now mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Where do you keep it? Is it something you keep in a jar? It was
1: very tiny, so I stick (laughs) it in my pocket.
2: (laughs) It was so tiny.
0: In a matchbox.
1: And when I don't have pockets, I tuck it between my gum and my cheek. And she chews <laughs> on it. And like, I chew no. on it. And it hurts him and it makes me feel good.
0: And she spits out a pitch black substance occasionally as it <laughs> builds up in her saliva.
1: I tell which... people it's tobacco, but we all know it's free will. <laughs> ha ha!
0: You're like channeling a,
2: a bizarro Miss Featherbotherm right now. <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke. Uh, anyway, yeah. aliens.
0: <laughs> aliens. Hey, so she, said, she was saying operations. Um... We th- I thought she was saying erp earlier, nope. you know, when the minute ended, but <laughs> it was not what she said. She was saying operations, which makes a lot of sense. It saying makes so a lot we more sense. Cleared than- that up. Yeah. So operations is the beginning of this minute, as she says. And they sort of finish up their planning, this little planning scene with the schematic on the table. And if you're watching the theatrical cut, they basically talk about sealing off doors and then Hicks talks about playing cards uh it's seal off doors oh well then we just need a deck of cards now i'm not sure what game they would be playing i don't know if we really need to go into that but i do know that there is a scene or a line in between those two lines in the theatrical or excuse me in the director's cut about sentry guns now century guns are something that are only in the thea- the director's cut i keep making that mistake they're only in the director's cut. They were discussed earlier whenever they were taking um, inventory of everything they were able to salvage from the crash drop ship. But now we're getting an idea of what they might do with them. So they're going to place sentry guns there. Uh, we, all we know is that they're pretty effective. We don't know exactly what they do yet. But you guys know, you guys do know because you have seen the director's cut. What do you, what do you guys think of the sentry guns as a concept?
1: I like them.
2: The they're so they're motion activated, com, they're computer controlled sentry guns. I mean, even today we're still having the ethical argument: is how do you, you know, how do you write a program for something to just automatically fire a gun and "quote unquote" kill something? In this instance, it's just anything that breaks the motion barrier, shoot at it, right? Yeah, uh, that's
1: exactly what they want, though.
2: Yeah, so John, you're
1: going into ethics. Am this I going is, into ethics?
2: This is this not. Is-
1: <laughs> Not ethics. you got to kill the aliens because uh, they're going to kill you.
2: I just like that it's a very corporate solution to their problem. You know? Yeah. Put the automatic guns in front of it and just let them go.
1: Well, I feel like they do need that extra level of, uh, I guess, deus ex machina would probably be the best way to describe it, of something that is a little bit more powerful than them that gets to just try to take out the aliens. Because there. we all know that there are a lot of aliens very few people and that the aliens are very smart and strong. So you kind of do need this extra level of fight, especially because they're almost out of ammo and literally everything has gone wrong. So they have this thing that's like, huh ah, because they know <laughs> they can at least scare it away. And I, on a level of ethics, I do not think that these are a good idea if you're dealing with people because who knows if it's a good person that's going to cross paths with a gun, one of your own guys, or God forbid, a dog.
0: Or a small girl that's been hiding in the uh, ventilation ducts, perhaps. Yes. because there, there was some discussion. Apparently, it's not in the text of the film, so uh, it's not canon per se, but apparently they're, in some of the uh, extended universe aliens... Um, I don't know material there's discussion that the smart guns that are carried by uh Vasquez and Drake also have a self-firing uh option on them and some you know you could w- whenever Drake accidentally or you know too quickly shoots at Newt earlier in the movie uh, Kyle the, Crane, the,
2: the steady guns the steady cam yes. guns? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Kyle Crane, when he was on, said that there was, you know, there's some argument that the, that, that was an automatic firing thing because something moved in front of him, which I thought was extremely bad idea if you're looking for uh, survivors on a colony. Yeah. But uh, that said, you know, with a, like I said, that's not really canon, so we can move past that. But this is. This is right here in the movie, or at least in the director's cut of the movie. And I think, you know, they're, they're running out of a lot of things, like you said, Crystal, but they're also out running out of people. Yeah. Like you you need boots on the ground, right? You've lost a bunch of boots. You now need something to stand in their place. And if you can narrow down the entryway for these aliens and stick a gun in there that will fire without a person having to be there, yeah, it's a great, it's a nice bit of backup for sure. So, I mean, I like them. I think that they're, you know, I I tussle with the idea of whether they add anything, uh, whether they up the ante as James Cameron claims they do. Uh, I kind of think they do in under the you know same kind of in the same context that I think that having the marines not have their ammo taken away earlier would have actually oh, upped the yeah. any. Yes. Um Not a big fan of the the ammo being taken away from the marines and the earlier you know when their first yeah. co- encounter. Yeah. Can
2: you just trust them not to use it. Goodness gracious, Clearly these are children.
0: Not. I mean, to me, yeah, there's so many problems with that scene. Uh, he doesn't tell them why they're taking the ammo away. They don't ask him why. And then, what exactly is the payoff? Uh, I don't think there's any. So, really, I would I find it more. What I mean, to, uh, what I'm getting at, really, is that the anti is upped to me by the fact that with even with superior firepower, you still get your ass kicked. To yeah. me, that's more interesting than than um, than you know neutering them too much. So, I like the smart guns in that sense. Um, again, though, we have another. Do they really pay off? I'm not sure, but. I, you know i could give they're not a problem to me like some of the other director's cut stuff is I, i'll say but we'll, i'll get you know i'll be getting into this a lot heavier as the as the movie goes on but just opening thoughts on the uh, on the sentry guns
1: i like them i think that they are necessary for what needs to get done and i think that it gives the actor like the characters a sense of I don't want to say peace but it makes them feel more confident which I think is something we need now because you've kind of seen them freaking out a lot recently yeah so it gives them a peace of mind that they didn't have before not that it matters that we'll soon find out well like it matters a little bit just enough yeah but I- it's nice it feels good to watch your characters that you're watching start to feel good too because you're like it's like getting cozy like, if you make a fort out of blankets, when you first climb in, you're like, oh, I'm so cozy! That's what I feel like they think with the century Guns.
2: And I'm I, i going to be thumbs up century Guns also, because this movie, in, in a lot of movies, more necessarily isn't better. Actually, in, in a lot of cases, that's the case. But this movie leaves viewers like me so thirsty for more background information on the Wayland yutani Corporation, all, you know, the whole, this why space is this really uncomfortable, uh, scary, lonely place, and anything, the the, the the story they tell in these movies is very centric to the, the characters and them trying to fight this beast, but this universe that they're in is so rich and full of lore and full of detail that just any extra thing that they can add, I'm, I'm going to be like, yes, that. Of course colonial mar- marines will have their standard loadout will be will include automatic sentry turret guns because you know, that's something that they potentially will need. You know, they're probably some sort of real world equivalent that our special forces use. Maybe they're not sentry turrets, but maybe they're like motion detectors and they can like throw like a James Bond proximity thing that can like stick to a car or stick to like a room and they can tell when someone's coming around the corner that because they're breaking the motion barrier or something like that. It has to exist, right, Crystal? Yeah, sounds right. Okay. It
0: could. We, we have some uh, some people that are listening that have served or are presently serving in the military that might be able to help us out with that. yeah. Oh, so, yeah, yeah they, there's probably something like that. I'm not sure if it would uh, – there would be an automatic fire thing going back to the ethical questions that we discussed earlier, but maybe, maybe they are. Maybe it is an ethical issue that we uh, have uh, decided to look the other way on, but I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll find out on our Facebook page.
1: If we want to combine the Fifth Element universe and Aliens universe, we can discuss how there is a distinct uh, disrespect for life in the Fifth Element, we've noticed, where there, as opposed to, you know, nowadays, if something, you shouldn't go swimming there, there's like signs, don't go swimming. If there's uh, something really high, there's guardrails up so that people don't trip and fall. But in the Fifth Element universe, there's no guardrails on anything that's very tall, there's, uh, in the event of a disaster, there are lights that pop up out of the ground that are a very solid tripping,
2: tripping hazard.
1: And <laughs> I feel like this is just a further advancement from that way of thinking, which is, if you're going to put yourself in the way of a gun, maybe you should get shot. As opposed to <laughs> like, oh, careful, careful, there's a gun here. So maybe there, that's a part of the same philosophy.
0: Kind of a, a Randian, like Atlas shrugged, sort of uh, look at the world. Like, well, if you're stupid enough to do it, you deserve to die. So, yeah, there exactly. You go. Well, not to mention the fifth element has all those homages to Star Wars. So, having guardrails would uh, would go against that. I mean, we know, we all know that there's no, there are no OSHA standards in Star Wars. There's apparently none in the fifth element either. So,
1: yep. And now we know there's none in the Alien universe as well.
0: Not not a lot. Well, you would think though that Ripley would be a real stickler. Like on the Nostromo, at least. I would think she'd be a real stickler for OSHA standards. But, you know, the company, man, once you get into that corporatocracy kind of situation, the company's going to shut out any of those oversight groups, you know? So, oh, man.
2: The man's got to keep people down.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Damn right, man. God. Well, speaking of keeping the man down, we cut to this shot of Burke, being forced to uh, trolley a few boxes around, which I've love i always loved this moment where they said, okay, it's time to get to work. We're, we're getting the get-to-work scene here where everybody does, everybody's doing their part, and apparently Burke's part is to trolley some boxes. Now, what the hell are these? Is this the ammo for the sentry guns, I'm guessing?
2: Snacks. Yeah, snacks and
0: supplies. <laughs> Power bars. And then, and then I love the fact that he's followed by Newt, which places him, it's basically the busy work equivalent of sitting at the kids' table, you know <laughs> right he's like yep. he's working at him and Newt, hey, Burke, you and the little girl go do this stuff while we do some welding and shit, you know, yeah. I love it. I think it really kind of pushes him down a little bit, uh, I think it works really, and of course he that he's holding the top of one of the boxes, you know, trying to steady it, and then he like kind of rubs his hand like he got dust on it like a real like a real city boy, you know. But <laughs> hey,
2: hey, Burke, why don't you why don't you go help out the little girls? Us men have work to do. And yep. Ripley stays with them. She's like, Yeah, us men have work to do.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, oh, oh
0: Burke. What a what a bastard. I do um, love
1: like so we see Burke with the boxes and we see Newt with the hot dogs and which is what I'm guessing is in the aluminum foil. <laughs> she and,
0: went to
2: a ballpark and yeah, got a bunch she's of single like, I got snacks. <laughs> hot dogs.
1: Hot dog snackies.
0: Yeah, the both, both of the teams all the all the teams and the fans of the ball team are dead, so who's gonna eat these hot dogs? Let's just go grab them <laughs> uh, to the old Hadley's hope ball yard.
1: <laughs> oh man yeah and that's I do love that she is hands on though.
0: yeah I guess we did we talked about the sentry guns so much, but there was also a cut here I forgot about where we actually see the demonstration of the of the sentry guns um, waste of bullets g- yeah uh, they throw what do they throw some kind of a pink b- bucket? out there and shoot a bunch of rounds to make sure it's working and just really to demonstrate to us the audience how they work but not so much a, a practical idea for them i wouldn't think i would think that you there'd be a, a like a single shot setting or something that you'd put it on yeah. maybe to test it to only use one bullet as opposed to 50 because uh, those bullets come in pretty handy later on yeah uh, so, but in the theatrical cut, we get uh, we just cut straight to Hudson sealing the door off to the corridor that has the sentry guns. It's kind of a, an abrupt cut. You can feel that there was something that was supposed to be there. Definitely, but,
1: especially because if there wasn't, if they weren't coming in from somewhere, why would the door be open at all anyway?
0: Yeah, they wouldn't just and,
1: leave that open. <laughs> so,
0: and why would he yell like ceiling door"? You know, like, so, like it's just a strange cut in. Yeah,
1: they're like, "Great, the good job, glad you're." Doing what you're supposed to.
2: Hmm.
1: And then Newt's like, hot dogs. And <laughs> Burke's like, boxes! <laughs> <and> Everyone's <laughs> just yelling what they're doing. Well dang! Hicks is like wall bang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Burke is like
1: scheming. <laughs> I'm wait, scheming. wait, I
0: I mean I mean boxes. I
1: mean, I mean boxes supplies. <laughs>
0: So there's one thing I noticed uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the designs, these like self-drawn gr- bits of graffiti on all the uh, Marines clothing and so on and their armor. And I'd never really noticed that we get this shot from behind Hudson as he's closing the door. He's got a big eight ball, like looks like it's drawn with a Sharpie on his helmet. Yeah. Right. So what is, you know, at, at that time and a little bit later, when like when I was in high school uh, or even like late in junior high, eight balls were for some reason an image people wanted on their clothing. Like there was there were these things called eight ball jackets that were these big multicolored leather jackets yeah. that had a big eight ball on the back for some reason. Now what is the perceived significance of the eight ball as an image?
1: I feel like uh, people are like, "Hey, what's my fortune, man? Like what's my destiny? Is my destiny like I doubt it or is it like yes?" Who knows what my future holds? I feel like it's that kind of thing because they never show the bottom of the eight ball. It's always like, oh, what's the mystery of life? Don't shake it.
0: <laughs> so you're you're seeing it as a magic eight ball as opposed to a pool ball, a
2: billiard ball. Yeah. Yes, I think yeah. it's okay. an actual billiard ball because they're rough and tumble men that like to hang out in billiard halls and smoke cigars and mm-hmm. have sex with barflies. No f-
1: fortunes. It's their fortune.
0: See now there's there's a very good possibility that in the real world this is a reference to cocaine. Now I I think it, there is a possibility uh, that the popularity of the eight ball was a kind of a tongue in cheek reference to cocaine. That's possible. I'm right. not
1: sure. I think you're right. Oh, I've known that from all my cocaine usage.
2: Yeah, Crystal does. <laughs> well, you does tons of the cocaine. How
1: do you think I but have the energy for these podcasts? <laughs> We
0: always buy it in much larger quantities than eight balls, though.
1: I buy bricks.
0: Yes, of course.
2: Uh, they're called so, kilos. Oh, uh, I buy kilos. kilos.
0: Well, they call it kilo. It's like the cops call them that. Like real people, you know, the what street people narc, call it
1: bricks.
2: Narc- no, we call them keys.
1: <laughs> no, that's a bump.
0: Yeah, wait. Yeah, that's a much smaller dose. Yeah. It's
1: not even worth it.
0: <laughs> but I've. So I mean, there's a really good possibility that Hudson's into Coke. I mean, I think that we can take that from his de- overall demeanor. We talked about needing some uh, a little volume for the come down. I think that's possible that yeah. but more likely, I'm thinking that this is one of two things either it's it's a very shrewd, symbolic uh image, meaning that he is it's sort of like the the aces and eights in a western where he's behind the eight ball, right like he yeah. is. Hudson's going to go down. We know it. He's doomed, as he likes to say. Um, the other one would be that if as a Marine, from a practical sta- uh, standpoint as a Marine, maybe you're just hoping to be the last to go down, oh, like an yeah. like eight ball would be in pool, right? So I don't know. I'm probably reading so much more into all of this than there needs to be. But I saw that eight ball and I thought, hey, there's a talking point. Let's Let's talk it to death.
1: I personally think it's the fortune thing. Definitely the magic eight ball. Okay. <laughs> no, I I uh, I don't like my answer anymore. I'm just well, doubling, uh, I'm doubling down on it so I don't feel like a dumb dumb.
0: I think it's safe <laughs> to say that Hudson's outlook is not good. No. Though. I mean, there's multiple. Bits on the little, what do you call it, little pyramid that's inside the magic eight ball that would apply to Hudson. So I think it could yeah. go that way. We'll, um, we'll do a poll on on the Facebook page and on Twitter to see what people think. Um, we'll see who uh, who comes out. You know what, what the what the standard like overall opinion is of this.
1: I'm gonna vote for yours. Yeah.
0: Wait, which your... one? I give a few.
1: All of them. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna I'll stick with it. Rough <laughs> and tumble bar guy. Hanging out with loose women and hanging out and drinking beers, living fast, dying young, yippee kaye.
0: <laughs> yeah, all those things apply, okay. I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get now kind of a big moment in this minute, right? We Great get.
2: heartfelt moment?
0: It's heartfelt. Uh, it's been building. Like we've had little hints at, at some upcoming relationship between. Hicks and Ripley. And now we're actually getting it like in, it consummated in the way that uh, aliens would consummate a relationship, right? Even yeah. though he, st- even though he states in the scene that it's not consummating anything, we know better. Like there's this is a bit of an engagement of sorts. See, uh,
1: I, I never thought of their relationship as a romantic one. I think it's one that's a uh, res- uh, respect, Right. I, don't, I don't see it, and, and I never have, as like, oh my gosh, they're going to date when this is over. I see it more like uh, Poe and um, Jen Erso. Ray. Not Poe.
0: You mean Cassian and Jen Erso? Yeah, Cassian and Jen yeah. Erso.
1: I see it more like that, where it's like, yeah, there could be that romantic thing, but it would be a romantic relationship built on a mutual respect, and I think that all we're seeing right now is that respect, and I think he makes a little joke about it, and they do, they do eye each other, but I, I still don't feel like it's super love. I think it's high, high respect. And when two straight people respect each other enough, it's like, well, should we date? And that doesn't always happen, but I don't think it's romantic. And I like thinking that it's a step removed from that.
2: I think it can be both. They both have this mutual respect for each other because of their strength and they both are leaders. And they both are, have that maturity to be calm and, uh, and collected in, in times of extreme s- stress. But I think that's what they sort of like in each other. And we're seeing just a small glimpse into that. Even though it would be a little ham-fisted if they kissed or anything like that. Right. They're not going to do that. They're not going to even embrace each other.
1: And that's exactly what I just said, was that they're a step removed from that. Right. So they're not at the romantic step yet. And I don't think we ever see that in this movie. I can see that it would possibly happen after this movie. I
2: I just know that this is more or less the same conversation that we had whenever I tried to take you on a date first. I was like, hello, you are a female. Here, take this tracking device so they may know your location at any moment.
1: (laughs) And look at us now. Shame on me for not putting two and two together. (laughs) You're right, they're uh, just like us, John. Uh, Natural oh. leaders, incredibly attractive, yep. really good under pressure, yep. and they give each other tracking devices.
2: That's the, that's us to a T. <laughs>
0: and John taught Crystal how to shoot a gun, and then he got his face burned with acid. Exactly. I mean, it's all there. It's all there, you guys. I'm Did you guys, like... Are you guys doing like real world cosplay, like super hardcore cosplay, where you actually live your lives just like a movie? Yeah, I can't like wait to I
1: get the acid out of the refrigerator. It's been cooling.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, I don't think I don't see this as romantic exactly either. And I think it's a matter of context, really. Like this is, a, and you know, the example you brought up, Crystal was was Rogue One, a war movie, like a all out war movie, right? Uh, this one, obviously, also a war movie. I think the context of like love during war um, it tends to be more through a lens of mutual respect and like if you know if you're competent, I'm competent. Uh, there's this respect for you know doing the job, mm-hmm. and now that he's seen that she can, and she can even take charge. He's got so much respect for her. But he's always had kind of an eye out for her from the beginning. He's the one that's definitely been the most empathetic to her situation. And uh, he's the first one to defer to her expertise. And there's always been a bit of mutual respect there. So I think this is a fun moment. Like, What are they going to do about it if there is a romantic angle to this? They're not going to do anything about it now. It would be a terrible moment for them to do anything here or to... Like, you know, maybe if this movie was made in 1983 or 84, the studio would have insisted on a saxophone heavy, you know, love scene to follow. <laughs> but um, eh, it did not work here. But it doesn't matter because all it, really it's just about connection. It's not really about whether or not uh, they live happily ever after. Or there's right. actual sexual connection between the two of them. Um, but you can see it in her, in her face. She's definitely not reacting to it as like, cool, dude. You know, right. she's like touched by it. I haven't
1: actually stopped on a perfect frame where Sigourney Weaver's face is center and she's kind of looking up and to the left at him with just this very, I want to say adoring, but that's not what the face is at all. It's She's very, I, I'm going to go back to respect again, where it's just like in a mutual admiration of, I, she sees herself in him, I think. And people yes, that's it. really, that's how you get someone because you see the traits that you like in yourself in them, and they, I think they both see that, and it's an awesome frame. I'm going to take a picture of it and I'm going to post it.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Seeing seeing yourself in the other person in, in in a similar, you're in a similar cir- circumstance, responding to it in a similar way. Um, yeah, th- that all is a, that's a good way to encapsulate. I think what's going on here between them. But of course, he does cut into the tension. There's like there is a little tense moment there where mm-hmm. she's looking at him, and he cuts the tension with a joke. And I've always thought that this that was an improvised line, because as great of an actress as Scorny Weaver is, there's something about her response that seems like she was taken off. Uh, she was a little off guard there. And yeah. like She didn't expect that line, and I can't find it anywhere else. Like I, it's not in the script. Um, Um. I watched the commentary hoping that 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 section of the commentary would actually have the cast, but it doesn't. Um, I it's, I think it's quite possible that Michael bean was reading her performance as we have just were discussing and seeing the look in her eyes and throwing that line in. I I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, but you know, it could be that I'm missing something that's somewhere in like in a shooting script somewhere that was later down the line from the script that I have that it's in there. But I think it's a really good chance that was a that was an improv line.
1: Yeah, it, her smile is just so genuine and sweet when it happens.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, she kind of chuckles in that surprise sort of way, like a, you know, you're you just had an emotional gear shift of sorts, you know, where she's feeling like Sigourney Weaver's in the moment. She's got this emotional thing going on inside of her, and then he throws a joke at her. That's legitimately, you know. Speaking to the moment, like it's cutting into exactly what she's feeling and it's the perfect time, you know, that, that just kind of shifts you into this laugh and the way she responds, either she's, I mean, she did get nominated for an Oscar for this role. So, you know, she's really great, but something about this feels a little, even too natural to be part of the performance.
1: Right. And I think that we only really see Sigourney Weaver smile in this role, I think three times and we have two of them. Or in like a big genuine smile, I mean, and we have two of them in our week, yeah,
0: yeah. She really is.
1: You see the smile is when she gets the cat in her first dream,
0: yeah. I think she does.
1: Like, where have you been? And I can't think of any other spot where she isn't upset or worried. I
2: think she's smiling at the part where she's putting Newt to sleep. Yeah, but that's yes.
1: that's the second part I'm talking oh, about. Okay. I'm this sorry. is the first mile. The next one is when new it's like, "But she's plastic." Spoiler, we're getting to that, but
0: Yeah. I'm thinking that yeah, this is a good observation and that we could really even narrow it down to, you know, in Alien, she was one of the crew and for most of the movie she was just supposed to be one of the crew anyway. So so she joined in a lot in the laughing and the you know, around the the, around the table discussions and jokes and things. So we're not really talking about that, Ripley. We're talking about the aliens, Ripley. Right. She really only reserves uh, positive emotions for three individuals, one being a cat, Jones, <laughs> one being Newt, and one being Hicks. Yes. And at no other time does she ever share a laugh, a smile, uh, even a fun moment, I don't think. I'm screening through my brain right now, and I just don't think she does. I think yeah. for the most part, she's either sober, um, like sober businesslike, or even has animosity towards the other person, or yeah. frustrated, worried, something. Yeah, you're right. That's interesting. That's that's good, though, because uh, we don't want Ripley to go around being all you know, Lovey glad dope. and happy within lovey-dovey out yeah, with everybody. We want her... We want to see that for these special few people because it makes those special few people so much more special to us. Yep.
2: I don't want to get into like a, a rabbit hole or anything, but they really do leave out sex, you know, in, in these movies. And I think remember reading something about there was a little bit of a relationship between Dallas and Ripley in the first one, but they took it out because they didn't want Good. Ripley to be you know, romantically involved with anybody, and they really don't... There's, like, no room for sex in any Especially of
1: these Especially because it's Tom Skerritt. Ew!
0: <laughs> oh, what?
1: No, I can't. Oh. His face is so condescending. No. <laughs> Anytime I see it... I, I saw Contact before I saw Alien, and when I saw Alien, I was like, ah! That guy? Yeah. And it also <laughs> could be... and. This is gonna sound horrible, but he wasn't the nicest person to me. He looks a lot like my stepdad, <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's true. who was kind of mean to me my whole life. So, uh, seeing his face on and the idea of someone being romantically interested in them, I'm like, ah, yuck, no, condescending and mean. Stop it.
0: Well, I hope he. I hope he doesn't mind the criticism. Uh, he's a regular listener of the show, so he I is.
1: C- I I'm, um but seriously though, he is a very good actor. I think it just <laughs> that I do enjoy him. He just looks like my stepdad, who's not nice.
0: Well, just to uh to summarize a bit what we've talked about over the many episodes of Alien Minute, yeah, the sex thing is interesting because there was a lot of sex in Alien originally, and it was all just like thrown away. Cause there were going to be like weird comedic sex scenes. There was going to be, they were all going to be naked coming out of the pods and and nudity was going to be kind of every day, you know, inter intermingled genders and showers and so on and so forth. There's a whole scene where um, that was cut where Ripley asks Lambert, if she ever slept with Ash, the assumption being that they'd slept with uh, pretty much everybody, like they'd all slept with each other, but somehow Ash, Uh, Never seemed that into it, they say. And uh, so there's all this sex stuff and that Ridley Scott kind of came along and cut it all out of the original scripts. And then even um, in the editing process, cut the scenes out that had any implication of it. Of course, it's always everybody always reads the sexual tension between Ripley and Dallas anyway. And I think it's a great reading. I think it was probably there. Yeah. But um, they saved any little bit of sex for the ending of Alien where she disrobes almost entirely, you know. But yeah, in this movie, again, there's really no talk of sex um, at all, is there? Yeah, I don't think there's I any. So.
2: None. No, I don't think so.
0: Some people take the uh, implication that Drake and Vasquez had some kind of relationship. I always see it as more of a brother-sister thing. Same. Yeah. But then, of course, in Alien 3, it comes rushing in with uh, under a context of rape. <laughs> instead of, yeah, to the very, oh my gosh pretty much the first sex we get uh, outside of the symbolic Giger-esque sex that we get, uh, we've get, already discussed with the facehugger and so on is like rape, prison rape. So, wow. Okay. So, I guess that's how that's going to crash into this world. <laughs> but, and then we of course get, you know, very weird uh, sex in the fourth one. So, sex and alien, it's definitely a topic. I mean, it would be an interesting book if someone ever wanted to sit down and write like human sexuality in the alien franchise or i guess human could be even in uh in quotes right. but yeah so interesting to bring that up though because yeah here we are in a scene which might have traditionally had some sort of sexual undertones to it at least that we're all kind of agreeing doesn't doesn't really have them we're just uh, seeing these this is mutual admiration
1: yeah. Yeah. i uh i <laughs> I'm so worried that Tom Skerritt's going to think I don't like him if he's <laughs> he listening does. to this.
0: Crystal, he doesn't really listen to the show. Because he
1: could. Go. What if he does one day and he thinks that I don't like him? I don't know him as a person. I just know the characters he plays, and they're not nice.
2: Well, I'm sure well, he's going to not invite you to his birthday party <gasps> I love <now. don't> birthdays.
1: <gasps>
0: <laughs> yeah, but do you want to go to Tom Skerritt's <laughs> birthday party? Wouldn't it be like going to your uh, your stepdad's birthday party? You yeah. Don't want
1: that. No. Okay, I'm over it.
0: I did. I had one last thing to say about this moment too, and it's something that we've discussed kind of regularly on this on Aliens uh, minute so far. But that's um, how deftly Cameron is at interjecting exposition naturally, or yes. or interjecting foreshadowing, or something that uh, some kind of seed that needs to be planted for later. He does it really nicely with this tracking device, right? So we've talked to kind of around what actually happens in the scene is that <laughs> yeah. you know, that uh, Hicks gives her a watch-like uh, object that is a tracking device, the way he can tell where she is at all times. Very similar to the uh, tracking devices apparently all the colonists had, which is how they found them in that hive to begin with. But um, this is something you know. We've had all of these wonderful suspense suspense engines, which we've said the words, uh, the phrase "suspense engine" about a thousand times uh, on the show so far. But we need it. We got these tracking devices. We got these trackers. We've got all these things that beep and tell us where people are that help build tension within the scene. And we're going to need one for later because why would Ripley? Why would we? You know, when we get to the Queen, the search for Newt later. Why would we have it? if we don't have this thing. So it's really nice that it's then interjected and kind of laid under this layer of a character moment, as opposed to just being like Gorman, for instance, coming up and said, Ripley, you are uh, not one of us. So you need one of these. Cause we need to be able to find you. And just in case later you disappear, you know, which would be a horrible exposition scene. In this case, it's just kind of buried in and has more meaning to it. And that's good. Nice, shrewd, rich writing.
1: Yeah. I love light-handed exposition, <laughs> heavy-handed, it kills me, where I'm just like, ah, oh, stop it. I actually have to do a podcast later today about Hollywood Homicide, the hit movie with Harrison Ford and Josh Hartnett. Wow. Okay. I am not excited about that one. Oh, well, I am, because we all hate it, so it's going to be fine. It's for a <laughs> Ford cast, so they go through Harrison Ford movies one at a time through history. Um, But... That is the exposition so bad. And it's really nice to be talking about a movie before that where it's so perfect.
0: I mean, my rule of thumb when I'm writing is, you know, if I get to a point where I really have to have some kind of exposition, just layer it. Try to layer in. Make sure you're doing at least two things with the scene. Don't just have a scene of exposition, you know. So when we have this little mini scene, if it's anybody but Hicks – it won't work because there's no rapport right, with anyone right. else. The only person she has a rapport with, except for Newt, is Hicks, and he's the only one that can provide her with this thing. Obviously, Burke's not going to do it, but they don't really have a positive r- rapport anyway. So let's have this scene be about Ripley and Hicks, first and foremost, and then secondly, let's set up this little tracking device. With anyone else, the scene would just be about the tracking device, and that's heavy-handed exposition like you're talking about. So it's a nice choice, and it works really well, and it shows that James Cameron once was a shrewd screenwriter. And that's all I have to say about that.
2: Yeah. I like it. Yeah, me too.
0: All right. Well, you guys have anything else at all for this minute, or should we move on to tomorrow?
2: Let's move on to tomorrow. let blast off.
0: All right, well why don't you give everyone the rundown again of where they can find you on uh, on the internet?
1: Sure. You can listen to John Robert and I on our movies by minutes podcast called The Fifth Element. It. You can find that on iTunes. You can also find our video game podcast on iTunes, it's called Unlimited Lives Radio. And you can watch us stream that live every Thursday at six on twitch.tv slash unlimited lives radio. And you can follow me on social media at the Crystal Beth.
2: You can follow me on Twitter at John Robert Wilso. Give me a follow, I don't you? That, that's it, us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can find us, of course, on AlienMinute.com. You can find us on Instagram at Alien minute Podcast on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Um, we're over at iTunes, of course, Stitcher, Google Play, any of your podcatchers that you enjoy. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for Minute Number 78. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 79.